How are we doing this morning, friends? Woo! Man, some really cool stuff happening right now. I'm super excited. Right now, we have got 60-plus middle schoolers, y'all, up at Hume Lake. Uh, somebody pray for those leaders. Uh, somebody pray for extra grace required on moments like that. But got a text message last night from our student pastor, Dan Pena, and he said, guys, Eight middle schoolers accepted Christ for the first time. Come on. Come on. So awesome, man. An incredible trip. We're praying that they all have a safe journey back. And uh, do want to give one more shout out real quick next Sunday for baptisms. If you have not yet been baptized as a follower of Jesus, next Sunday is your day. We've got plenty of space. Would love to enter that journey with you and invite you to be a part of that. For more information, you can go to our website. You can sign up on our website. You can chat with somebody under one of the connection tents outside. But we would love to journey with you into that. Um, man, let's pray. Let's just pray one more time before we get into the word today. I really, I do believe the Lord wants to encounter some of us today. Even as we are worshiping, I felt just this sense of faith being restored, faith being restored to us in this room. And maybe some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and man, you need a, just an extra dose of faith and of hope today, and I think the Holy Spirit wants to meet you. So let's pray one more time. Father, we just invite you into this moment in a special way. Lord, we know you're here, but we just set our mind and our heart on you right now. Lord, as we prepare to hear your word, to, to think about your work in our life, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to your leading. Lord, for anybody in this room that is grasping or reaching for you, Lord, I pray that you would encounter them today in the teaching of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. All right, we are in week five of our series called Reset, and we've been looking at various practices that we do believe can transform your life, can transform all of our lives, and these practices, some of them are spiritual disciplines. We've been in a season of fasting and prayer as a church. Hopefully, you've been able to jump in and join us with that, but what I like to think about is this. Some of these practices, these spiritual disciplines, things like fasting and prayer, they don't earn you anything with God. God isn't like patting you on the back because, wow, look at you, you're doing really hard stuff for me. No, God's delight is on you regardless of performance. Amen, somebody. That's the good news of the gospel, right? You don't have to earn your way into heaven. It's a free gift called grace. That's the gospel. Grace. But here's the point. The spiritual disciplines, the things like fasting and prayer and confession and community and fellowship and all these different things that Christians have practiced for thousands of years, they don't earn us anything with God, but they literally position us under the waterfall of grace and they, they open our will and our soul up to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life and they actually help us change into the image of Christ. 
So this, this reality of justification is a free gift. You are made right with God by grace. Free gift of grace, justification. Fancy theological word. It's your theological word of the day. Sanctification is your participation in justification. Does that make sense? Sanctification is this process by which we change and are transformed, and we have to participate in that. We have to daily choose to follow Jesus. We have to say no to some certain things that we want in our flesh and in our will. Sanctification is the process by which we become more and more like Jesus throughout our entire lives. And that's what this series is all about. Now, today we're not exactly looking at a spiritual discipline, but we are looking at something that I definitely believe can transform your life. Something we've all experienced, hopefully, at one point or another. And today we're going to look at this, the practice of happiness. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Just put a big smile on your face already. The practice of happiness. What do you mean by that, Pastor? What, what do you, how do I practice happiness? Well, there's a couple things about this idea of joy, and I'm going to use happiness and joy and contentment interchangeably. I know you can nuance those words, but the Scripture uses them interchangeably. So for today's sermon, we're going to use them interchangeably. But here's the deal. As a Christian, joy is part of your inheritance, you, you actually cannot, I, I'm saying this strong because I believe it, but I don't believe you can actually genuinely be saved without experiencing some sense of the joy of your salvation. David even said it in Psalm 51. He said, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He had lost the joy, but it started with joy. If you think about the coming of Christ, the entire message of Christmas, right? The angels appear to the shepherds and they say, hey, I'm bringing you good tidings, glad tidings of great joy. I know Christmas was a few weeks ago, but we can still quote Christmas verses. It's okay. But this is a gospel of joy. It's a gospel of happiness, right? It's this reality that, man, salvation, grace, the reality of these things should produce something in your emotions. It, Christianity is not a stoic, dead religion that you just agree with philosophically. It is an absolute winning and submission and redirection of your heart through joy and through happiness and through the fact that God, check this out, maybe you've never heard this before, he likes you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't just put up with you. He looks at you and he has delight in you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, Your God rejoices over you with loud singing and dancing. For some of you, this is wrecking your paradigm of God. You're like, I don't know God like that. No, God delights in you. He takes pleasure in you. He has joy in you. Jesus, it says in Hebrews 12 too, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. You were the joy that was in front of him, that he was picturing, so he went through that pain. He didn't look at you and be like, oh man, I gotta deal with this cross for them? They're going to, those people, they're a mess. They got all these issues. They got all these problems. Like, uh, I guess I'll save them because that's what I'm here for. 
No, he was motivated by love, by joy, by delight in you. So that through salvation, the glory that God put inside of you as an image bearer of God would come out into the world. Would be released into the world. That's what this whole thing is about. And friends, there are so many competing narratives in the world for happiness. Where do we find the good life? So we all want to know. That's what every human is about. That, that just touches on the core of human existence. Where do I find joy? Where do I find happy, happiness? What's going to make me happy? What's going to make me content? Where can I find this stuff? For some of us, it feels elusive. It feels out there. It feels like we can't grasp it. Oftentimes, the pain or the sorrow of our life is the only reality that we see. And so we wonder, Lord, or we don't even say, Lord, many of the world just starts looking for happiness wherever they can find it. Searching for happiness. But there are competing narratives in the world of what the good life is. What will actually bring you happiness. Where you can find joy. I'll share two of these competing narratives with you guys now. Uh, the first one sounds like this. Number one, uh, it could buy me a boat. And number two, more money, more problems. Chris Jensen, that brilliant country artist, he said this, I wish I had a rich uncle that would kick the bucket, and I was sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it could buy me a boat. It could buy me a truck to pull it. It could buy me a Yeti 110 iced down with some silver bullets. Yeah, and I know what they say, money can't buy everything. Well, maybe so. Sing it with me. But it could buy me a... Now we're having church. <laughs> and then uh, that brilliant philosopher, the notorious B.I.G., he said it like this. I don't know what they want from me. It's like the mo' money we come across, the mo' problems we see. And here's the deal. Narrative number one. Maybe money can't buy me everything. Maybe it can't buy me happiness, but it can buy me a boat. And the narrative that we hear is that, man, happiness is out there somewhere. It's in that relationship or that possession or that position or that level of prestige. Somewhere out there in the world, happiness is available to me. If I could just get, if I could just get into that school, if I could just pay off all my debt, that would make you a little happier. And not all these things are bad things, right? But when they become ultimate things, when we believe that attaining whatever position that is, whatever status that is, whatever level of income it, it, we're looking for, whenever we attain the one thing that we believe will ultimately bring us lasting joy, when you get to that mountaintop, when you reach that place, when you take hold of that, you realize, wow, something is still missing. There's still a gap. Anybody who's been married for more than a week knows, man, this person cannot possibly be my source of eternal joy and happiness. I love them, and I am in covenant relationship with them, but man, relationships are hard, and if you look to that person to fulfill your every need, they're going to let you down, and you're going to let them down. The first narrative says, and the marketing companies, they try and sell it to us with technology, whatever it is. Man, I remember the early days of Apple releasing, like, the next version of the iPhone. Do you all remember these days? 
I was into it. I mean, I remember the iPod, you know, every iteration of the iPod, then the first iPhone, you know, iPhone 2, 3 going on, and then the iPad, all these different. I, I remember just deep in my soul believing if I just had the iPhone 3, oh my gosh, it would solve everything. I would be so happy. I could take better photos. Like, you know, this sweet little piece of technology is going to make my life easier. It's going to solve all our problems, and it's going to bring me joy. And it did for about a week. And now by iPhone 12 or 13, we're all like, I just want to go back to the flip phone. Somebody please take this away from me. I'm addicted to it. Social media is driving me crazy. I'm anxious. I'm freaking out. I can't, I can't get away from my work. My phone is everywhere with me. And this one thing that I thought was going to make my life easier and more convenient seems to be ruining things. These things that we look to that we think are going to make us happy or satisfy us deep down, man, they always end up leaving us short. I want to read a couple scriptures for us. I want you to think about these. Psalm 16, verse 11, says it like this. It'll be on the screens here. It says this. David is writing to God. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness, like all the joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is all the joy? Where is all the happiness you will ever need? Where is everything you've ever looked for and longed for in life and contentment? Psalm 1611, the word of God says, in the presence of God. How do you get into the presence of God? Well, technically, you're in it right now. But the way that you really step into the presence of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. He's the access. He's the door. Through him, the veil of the temple was torn, and now you and I have access to God. Whenever, wherever. Here's the problem. Even though we're living, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, there's a paradox, there's a conundrum here, right? Oftentimes, we live our days and walk throughout our life without any awareness of the presence of God simply because we don't choose to acknowledge him. We don't choose to stop, to turn off our phones, to just sit with ourselves and set our minds and our heart on him and realize, whoa, I could be having a rough day. Life, the storms of life could be raging all around me, but I have access right here and now to the fullness of joy. He's always available. Anytime, anywhere, it's just a matter of us pausing and setting our hearts and our minds on that reality. Entering into his presence. Entering into that reality. John 15, 10 to 11 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Fullness of joy. That your joy may be full. John 16, 22 says this, so you have sorrow now. Some of you are in a season of sorrow, a season of pain. But I will see you again, says Jesus to his disciples. 
Then you will rejoice. That means you'll be happy. Rejoice is the verb form of joy. Rejoice is how you do happiness. Then you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. You will have a permanent joy. Nobody can take it from you. No one can rob you of it. Nobody can steal it from you. And some of you are like, that sounds awesome, Jesus. I have no idea what that is. Seems like my joy just wakes up and runs out the door every day. And I'm stuck here with anxiety and depression and sorrow and anger and bitterness and everything else that I'm dealing with in life. But here's what I believe Jesus is saying to us. He is not saying that the Christian will never experience sorrow. That the Christian should just ignore the pain of their life. That as a Christian, we can just turn a blind eye to all the suffering and the pain and the hardships that we face. What he is saying is that with a, as, as you step into and live into a Christian worldview, there will be an overlap of joy and sorrow. There will never be a sorrow that is only sorrow. There will never be a pain that is only all pain. It may feel that way in the moment, but the reality is this. If the Spirit of God lives inside of you, that is, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then the presence of God is inside you, and where God is, there is fullness of joy. So even in your external circumstances, there is joy. You can think of it like this. This is a fake wood-burning stove, but imagine with me that it's real. Recently, we went to a friend's cabin in Tahoe, and especially in the month of December up in Tahoe, there were some raging blizzard snowstorms, record month for Tahoe, more snow this past December than I think ever, or at least since 1970 in Tahoe. And the way that some of the cabins are heated up in Tahoe is through a wood-burning stove. Now, these things work awesome, they're amazing. They can heat up a massive cabin, but what's the catch? They take a little time, right? You put the wood in there, you light it on fire, and it takes a little while to heat up. And then once it really gets cooking, it takes a little while to heat up the cabin. So you're, you're in the cabin, but you're experiencing the cold of the outside still. You're, you're in the cabin, but you're still sort of experiencing the storm, except you're not in the elements fully. You're standing close, man, I just need a little heat from this. And then eventually that thing is cranking so hot, the entire cabin is warm, and it's a picture of the Christian life. There's this furnace of joy inside of you. There's this reality of grace and gospel inside of you that says no matter how cold it is, no matter how, how the storm is raging outside, there is something inside of you that will ultimately become more real to you than the reality of the storm. The, maturity, the mature Christian, maturity in the Christian life is knowing. It's not that you'll never face sorrow. It's knowing how to access your joy in the midst of your sorrow. Let me say that again. The mature Christian life is not a life absent of pain or sorrow. It's knowing how to access the presence of joy in the midst of the storms of your life. That's what it is. That's what we're called to as Christians. This practice of happiness, this reality of saying, Lord, there are certain things that I need to do if I want to experience joy, experience the happiness that you've designed me for. 
interesting thing as I was researching this week. Um, I realized something profound, and maybe this won't sound profound until I start to unpack it, but you were actually designed by God for happiness. Biologically, physiologically, you were designed to experience joy and happiness. Happiness is your inheritance, but it's also the byproduct of your choices. Now, check this out. This blew my mind. If you're a psychologist or a doctor, you know more about all this than I do. Um, but I'm going to sort of boil it down, try and explain it in layman's terms. There are four different chemicals in the human body that produce happiness, joy, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. Now, here's what blew my mind as I was researching these and trying to figure out, okay, you know, how are these different, what, what circumstances in our life or actions or choices release these into our bodies so that we actually experience happiness? And, and Jesus said, look, if you follow my way, if you follow my commands, he says this in John 15, he goes, then my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. You'll experience happiness. Okay, Jesus, how does that work? Well, dopamine, right, that's the, that's the pleasure chemical right? That's the immediate hit of pleasure. It is released by all sorts of things from dark chocolate to ice cream, amen, somebody, to, um, to all, all different, you know, sort of immediate instant gratification stuff, which isn't always bad. But here's what's interesting about dopamine. It's also released when you are working to achieve a goal, when you set goals and achieve them, when you, when you find yourself passionately involved in your work, you experience sort of this buzz of dopamine. When you are creating or bringing your full self to your work or to your family or to wherever you're at, there is a release of dopamine that brings you joy. Now, can we relate that at all to the way of Jesus? 1 Corinthians 10.31, I'll just give you one example, right? G, uh, Paul says, Whatever you do, so it doesn't matter what you do, whatever you do, whether you're a cop, a firefighter, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom or dad, you own a business, you are retired, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. If you bring your creativity, your God-given glory into that situation to be an image bearer of God to the world, whatever you're doing, You'll bring glory to God. Do it as under the glory of God. Guess what? When you live into your creative ability as an image bearer of God, it makes you happy. It actually releases dopamine into your body. Incredible. Jesus says, follow my way, you're going to experience joy. Boom, dopamine. <laughs> That's one way. Oxytocin. This is wild. This is called the chemical of trust and love. When you enter into relationship with a friend or a spouse or a family member that you believe you can trust or have deep, intimate connection with, deep, re real, authentic relationship with, it releases this sense of calm and well-being and contentment in your life like nothing else can. There is a joy and a happiness that you get through a deep friendship, through a marriage relationship that cannot come in any other form. And God designed you for that. He made you to be in deep, authentic relationships with others. Uh, Genesis 2.18, I believe, it says, man was not created. It's not good that man is alone. It's not good. Everything else in all creation is good. This one thing, not good. Man was not designed to be alone. The next one, 
serotonin. This was amazing to me. I want to read this so I don't mess it up. It says this, serotonin is a chemical of respect, calm, content, or relaxing. It is released when someone treats you with respect, when they encourage you, gives you a feeling of significance, um, when somebody applauds your performance. Serotonin is suppressed by anxiety and stress. This was amazing. It can be released or increased in the body through deep breathing, meditation, and the practice of gratitude, daily gratitude releases serotonin into your body. It's incredible to me. Psalm 1 says this. This is literally another psalm of David. Here's what it says. Blessed or happy, the word blessed is our English word for happy, is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The the other word for law is just the word of God. In the Old Testament, they had the law that was their Bible. But for us, it's the one who meditates on the word of God day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, in our culture, in our modern culture today, this reality of breathing and meditation and gratitude practices, they are taking off. Anybody notice that? It is all, am I the only one? A hand, some nodding, yes, okay. Great. Just sometimes you got to make sure you're not alone up here. So it's taking off. I mean, millions of people have the Calm app on their phones or Headspace or they practice daily gratitude because they've realized, man, even apart, even apart from Christ or spirituality or anything, just pure focus on your breathing, whatever it may be, there is a release of serotonin in your body that makes you happy and calm. And Jesus said, look, I invented that. I made you. That's why I said meditate. You'll be happy if you meditate on my word. We did this as a team at our, at our morning prayer meeting this past week. We all actually meditated on Psalm 1. We just took 10 minutes. Try this. 10 minutes. And we read it 10 times. And then we wrote down whatever came to mind about that verse. It was amazing. Every single person got something a little bit different. God spoke to every person about Psalm 1, something a little bit different. And it encouraged all of us. We shared around the room just this brief moment of meditation and calming our mind and focusing on the Word of God and then sharing what the Lord was speaking to us. Friends, hear me when I say this. Please hear me. The Bible was not just intended to be a a book that you memorize and learn. The Bible is a doorway into the presence of Jesus. If you want to hear God speaking to you in your daily life, get into the word and don't try and read a chapter a day. That's not bad. That's really good. But just pick a verse. Be real ambitious and pick one verse that like speaks to you. And just sit on that verse for 10 minutes and see what God does. Say it out loud because your mind will get distracted. Put your phone in like the bathroom downstairs and then go to the opposite end of the house so you have no access to it. But just sit on it for for 10 minutes. Say it out loud. Write it in different ways. Write it in your own words. And then say, Lord, what are you speaking to me through this verse today? I promise you he will bring something to your mind or your heart, and you will have an encounter with Jesus tomorrow morning if you do this. No exaggeration. 
The Word is living and active. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Logos, the living Word of God. If you want to encounter Jesus daily, be with him in the Word. Spend time in God's Word. It's a doorway into the presence of Jesus. And friends, guess what? It makes you happy. Biologically, serotonin is released into your body. God designed you on purpose. He said, if you follow my way, if you follow my commands, my joy will be in you and, my, and your joy will be full. It's amazing. When you actually get into the science of what Jesus is saying, he's like, I'm telling you, trust me. I love this. The, um, the endorphins, these are known as, as like runner's high, right? It's that, that ability where a long-distance runner, maybe if you've run a marathon or, or you're a runner or a long-distance athlete, you've experienced this, right? You're, you're feeling this pain. Your legs are hurting. You can't breathe. You're wanting to quit. But if you just press through, you kind of hit this what? It's called the second wind, right? The second wind. And suddenly, it's like all the pain leaves. Suddenly, you're like, whoo, man, I'm Usain Bolt. I'm floating out here. Like, I could go for another 30 miles. I feel great. And it's that reality of endorphins being released into your body that literally masks the pain and overwhelms you with joy. Overwhelms you with joy. There's this amazing reality that endorphins are released primarily not just through exercise and physical strain, but they're primarily released, again, through relationships and interactions with other people, through togetherness, through doing things with others. It's amazing how most of these are somehow designed and released around relationship. And it says in Acts 2, 42 through 47, the early church, man, they realized this. There was a joy in doing things together and sharing life together. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That's gathering together. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common. They shared life together. And day by day, attending the temple together, right? And breaking, uh, sorry, I've got the wrong. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad, happy, joyous, and generous hearts. Rejoicing, that's the active verb of happy. Rejoicing and having favor with all the people. There's something about the togetherness of Christians, a fellowship that releases happiness in your life. We know this. Happiness and joy is released by serving others. It's released in all these different ways, and all of these things that release the deepest sense of happiness and joy in our lives are essentially what Jesus said, follow me, and you'll find joy. Obey my commands, you'll find joy. Turns out, he knew what he was talking about. Scientifically, he knew what he was talking about. However, and we know this, and I'm coming down the home stretch with this, we know that happiness has a tendency to leak in our lives. There are things that sabotage our joy. There are things that rob us of joy, that rob our happiness. There are things from, from God's word, as I was thinking about it this week, that can actually steal our joy. If we enter into gossip and cynicism, our joy is robbed from us. It says this in Psalm 1, going back to Psalm 1, 
It says it like this. Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, a scoffer is somebody that is cynical, that speaks poorly, that scoffs at other people, that gossips, that speaks negatively about those around you or those in your life. And if you're constantly spewing that, if you're sitting in the seat of the cynical, of the gossip, of the negative, it will rob you of your joy. Our language, our words have power to steal our happiness. Number two, instant gratification. If we are constantly living to fulfill the desires of our flesh, and we aren't saying no to some of those things, that we know, hey, this might feel good right now, but it's not ultimately in line with long-term happiness. Gossiping might feel great right now. It might, you know, it just hits that little thing inside of me that wants me to feel better than that person or wants to unleash some secret about somebody. It might feel good for a second, but in the long haul, it robs you of joy. Unforgiveness and bitterness might feel good in the moment because that person hurts you, but in the long term, it robs you of joy because it chains up your heart. It hardens your heart. There are certain things that feel good in the moment, but in the long term, they rob us of happiness. Selfishness and greed. It may feel good in the moment to say, man, I'm building my savings. I'm building my, my empire, my kingdom. Giving money away feels hard. It feels painful in the moment. But long term, over the long haul, generosity, generous people are statistically happier. Giving increases your joy because money is no longer the God of your life. You're no longer stressed out about the fact that, man, I'm the sole provider for my, my life. I'm the sole source of everything I have. And if I, if I don't keep it and hang on to it, it could all leave. Generosity demonstrates trust in a father who's going to take care of you. Distraction is the enemy of happiness. Friends, if we cannot sit for five or ten minutes and just focus our heart and our mind on Jesus... And yes, we're going to get distracted, but living, I want to say it like this, when it comes to entering into a deeper relationship with Jesus, can I just say this clearly, boredom is your friend. We don't know how to be bored anymore. I was coming back from Tahoe with my kids, and we didn't have any devices in the car, and they were going crazy. They're like, what do we do? You mean to tell me I have to like, sit here and look out the window for two hours? Yes. Welcome to my childhood. I didn't have TV on a device, whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted it. Boredom is good for you. Enter into the boredom. You're, you'll discover things in yourself. It will lead you deeply, potentially, into the presence of Jesus if you let it, if you allow it to. Distraction is the enemy of happiness. Number five, a guilty conscience. Not being able to let go of your own junk or the past, it will rob you of joy. That's why the gospel says, Romans 8.1, the gospel says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a fountain of joy. That is a fountain of joy. Number six, destructive thoughts. That's why Philippians 4 says, fix your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Wherever your thoughts go, your happiness runs with it. I want to try to solidify this in our minds. I'm going to ask my friend Mikey to help me with this. Let's give it up for Mikey Pickerel, the man, the myth, the legend. 
Mikey, man, he serves on the worship team. He serves on facilities team. This guy serves all over the place. He's an amazing guy, and he's got huge biceps, so he's about to pick up this five-gallon bucket. Five, you can't see him under that, that sweatshirt, but trust me, they're there. Um, and he's going to pour it into this bucket. And this bucket has some holes in it. And John 15, it tells us that Jesus said, if you obey my commands, your joy will be full. If you follow my way, your joy will be full. But if we live into these realities of gossip and instant gratification and selfishness and distraction and guilty conscience and destructive thoughts, it's literally like robbing us of the joy that Jesus wants to give us. I believe in you, Mikey. Let's go for it. And here's what happens. It doesn't matter even if you're daily living in the presence of Jesus, daily finding new ways to refill your joy. Great job. Let's give it up for Mikey. It's going to constantly be leaking out of you. It's going to be constantly pouring out of you because you're engaging in practices that rob you of joy. And it doesn't matter how often you meditate or go to the Word or whatever it is, those will fill you up a little bit, but then you turn around and you start gossiping and you're cynical. You turn around and you don't take control of your thoughts. You are literally dumping out this reality in your life. Your inheritance. Your inheritance is being drained from your life by your choices. Happiness. This joy that no one can take away. There is a saved by grace reality, right? There is this reality of grace that is yours. There's a, a furnace of the gospel inside of you that, that will eventually overwhelm the sorrow of your life. But if by your daily choices you are leaking all the happiness from your life, it is robbing you, it is sabotaging your happiness, it will be very difficult for you to experience the inheritance that Christ purchased for you. Band can come on up and we're going to close with this reality. Friends, as I said, a real Christian is not a sorrowless person. It's not somebody that pretends like they never have hard days or pretends like they don't experience pain or struggles. A real Christian is somebody that knows how to access the joy that fights against these tendencies in their life, that, that daily runs back to the source and learns how to live from that place of joy no matter what storms are raging outside of our lives, no matter what's happening outside. Reminded me, so many people come to church for the first time and maybe this was you, and there's no shame in this at all, but they come to church for the first time in a crisis. After a diagnosis, when something's falling apart in their life, there's sort of this, this thought, well, maybe I'll give God a try. And God is open-handed waiting for you, joyous that you would turn to him in those moments. But it reminds me of the lame man who was brought by his friends to Jesus. They ripped off the roof and they lowered him down and they brought him to Jesus with a very specific need. They need him to walk. They know Jesus can heal lame people and, and paralyzed people. So they're like, man, if we bring him here, Jesus can fix this guy's greatest need. And they lower this guy through the roof. It creates a big scene. If you remember, 
and, and Jesus looks at the guy and says, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Seems like a very self-evident question, Jesus. I can't walk. This is my greatest need. Will you please fix my legs? I want to walk. And then do you remember how Jesus responds? He goes, yeah, that, that's a need. That's a real need in your life. But it's not your greatest need. You see, your greatest need is connected to a much bigger problem. Sin and death. And I want to give you eternal life. He says, so that you know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He goes, I'm forgiving you. I'm taking away all your sin. The Pharisees got really upset about that. And then he said, now that I've dealt with your greatest need, the deepest thing, it wasn't even the thing you showed up here for today, get up and walk. Now that I've dealt with that, get up and walk. Friends, often when we come to Christ, or we come to God, it's this, in this moment of crisis or need, and the Lord welcomes us in. He says, now we're going to start this journey. Yeah, you're in a storm. Yeah, the waves are crashing down around you. Yes, there's a blizzard outside, and it's ripping the windows off your house. But I want to show you the gospel. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to unleash grace on your life that creates a furnace of joy in your soul, a furnace of joy in your heart so that no matter what's happening in the sorrow of your life, you have access to my presence where the fullness of joy is, where life remains, where everything that you've longed for and needed exists so that the rest of your life can be lived not in a search for something that you can't find out there, yeah, you could buy a boat. You could buy you a truck to pull it. Yes, you could get all that stuff. And those things aren't bad. But if you're looking to that as the source of ultimate joy and happiness, I promise you it will let you down. If, on the other hand, joy is found in Christ and the gospel, then the good things of life that God may give to you, they're not your ultimate hope. There's something you can enjoy as a gift from God. But there is a, a steel deep inside of your soul. There is a furnace burning deep down that no matter what comes at you, and you will experience sorrow and pain and hardship, no matter what comes at you, it won't be able to hold you under the water for very long you will rise back to the surface like a buoy. Just think of yourself as a buoy. The waves may crash, but man, there is a joy that brings you back to the surface. And nobody, Jesus says, will be able to take that joy from you. And friends, that joy starts with the happiness and the delight of God over your life. It starts with the fact that you were the joy set before him. So he endured the cross for you starts with the gospel, and that's why we take communion every week. And so now we're going to enter into a time where we take communion together, and we're also going to have prayer teams down front like we've done for this whole month. If you need prayer for anything, whatever you're facing today, I want to encourage you when you're finished with communion, come down front. We'd love to pray for you. We're going to sing some, some worship songs, but I would just encourage you to stay seated. If you want to spend time with the Lord in the seat, Feel free to do that. If you want to come down, receive prayer, do that. 
If you need to head on and get ready for a 49ers tailgate, you can do that too. Let's go 49ers. We can pray for them in a minute. But right now, we're just going to set our hearts on the grace of God through the cross. Lord, thank you that we were the joy set before you. Thank you that you endured the cross. And Lord, for those who feel as though they're drowning in sorrow today, I pray, even as they take communion, they would feel the delight of God over them. And Lord, there would be a sense that no matter what storm is raging around them, that you are with them. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. We pray this in your name, and everyone said, amen. Let's take communion together. So if you want to come down and receive prayer, I want to invite you down front. We'll have our prayer teams down here. If you want to hang for a minute and just spend some time with the Lord, and if you need to leave, you're free to do that. I just want to pray one last prayer of blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine on you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Love you guys. We'll see you all next Sunday.